hey you listening to this podcast one thank you so much and two warning after not reading for about two weeks my body isn't exactly used to going so long without breathing so unfortunately for some parts of this podcast you will hear me take a deep breath most likely you wouldn't even have noticed it but i wanted to say i'm sorry i promise the next podcast will be a lot better but i just want to give like a trigger warning that hey you know you can hear me take a deep breath it's a podcast it's live i'm not the only person that does it but i know some people can't stand to hear someone breathe out loud or chew loudly even though there's no chewing here but i just wanted to apologize because i know i heard a podcast the other day and all you heard was the person taking a deep breath in like every five seconds so i just wanted to quickly apologize for that if you don't notice it then just pretend you never heard this part Hey everyone, so first of all I just want to say welcome back and I hope you guys got caught up in the book because today we are starting back up with Cat Patrick's Forgotten and I hope you guys got caught up and also I want to give a huge apology to you guys because I have been MIA for the past two weeks. Life just got really hectic and I became really busy to the point where I was sleeping and then just working and life got out of hand but i finally got control of it as you should do because you control your life and so we're just gonna get right back in and we're gonna get started so if you have accepted my apology and you want to get tuned in stay tuned so cap Patrick forgotten chapter 23 Across the aisle from me, Jamie's floral shoulder bag is packed and ready. There are five minutes left in class, and she's making no effort to appear like she's still paying attention. I wonder whether she's trying to get attention again. The thought makes me sick. Jamie has successfully ignored me all period, a task made easier by the fact that today wasn't a lab day. No partney, no practice drills, no joint assignments, no speaking to one another. The bell rings and Jamie stands so quickly, it makes me jump. She turns to face me and plunks something down on my desk. Here, she says, then turns and exits the classroom. In 15 seconds, the room is empty. Even Miss Garcia is in her attached office prepping for next period. Slowly, I unfold the small piece of ripped notebook paper. There is no note, no nothing. Just a phone number. I know what it is, though. Madam me or not, Jamie came through. Now it's up to me to decide whether or not I want to contact my father. Do you think I can be fixed? My mom looks at me sharply surprised. We've been eating dinner up until this point in silence. Fixed? She asks. I wouldn't say that you're broken. You're special. I roll my eyes at her naive look on life. Whatever, mom. 
I replied courtly. What made you think of this, Mom asked, ignoring my tone. Anatomy, I replied. I take a bite of chicken and then continue. Miss Harris talked about storing different memories in different parts of the brain. Easy stuff. Knowing your name or riding a bike or math goes in one place. Experience type memories go in another. I wouldn't say math is easy, Mom jokes. It annoys me. It is for me, I say sharply. Maybe your math is stored in the harder part. Anyways, that's not the point. Sorry, Mom says. Go on. Obviously, that means that only one part of my brain is messed up. Not all of it. So I'm wondering if I can have the messed up part fixed. And then I'll know what happened in the past, I think. But don't say. And maybe I'll stop remembering what's going to happen in the future, too. I don't think it works that way, Mom says quietly. Why do you think that? I demand. Because one of the experts you've seen is a neurologist. Do you know what that is? I'm not dense, Mother. London, I've had about enough of your tone. I was just going to say that he had an MRI done on your brain and nothing looked out of the ordinary. He said that your brain is perfectly healthy. No parts are messed up. Whatever, I say defensively. I'm finished. I push back from the table, take my plate to the sink, and leave my mom to finish eating alone, which only bugs me every step of the way upstairs. Chapter 24 Okay, I'm ready, I whisper. Even though whispering isn't necessary, we are totally alone. Nearly inaudible music plays from Luke's bedroom stereo, and the late afternoon sun is on the other side of the house, making the room dim. Are you sure you want to do this? Luke asks, the hairs on my arms stand on end. Yes, I answer quickly. Then I add, I think so. There's no rush, he offers. We can wait. No, it has to be today. I say in a bossier tone than I mean. Luke laughs and picks up his cell phone. Okay, he goes, he says. He dials the number from the scrap of paper and I bite the fingernail on my right index finger in anticipation. I imagine one ring, then two, then Luke's eyes widen and his posture stiffens. Less than one second later, he relaxes again. He makes a face and he disconnects the call. Wrong number, he says, disappointed. Like the voicemail was for someone else, I asked, needing clarification. No, like the number was disconnected. It might have been your dad's number way back when your parents divorced, but he's changed it since then. A 
as if on cue, muffled squeals erupt from the direction of the kitchen, and Luke and I instinctively move to sit in bean bags. We know him from experience, and me from my notes, that his mother will come in without knocking to see what we're up to. Innocently crank calling my estranged father might look questionable if we're doing it from Luke's bed. In fact, anything done while lying on Luke's bed might be met with a raised eyebrow from Mrs. Henry. And the motherly inquisition is not what I need right now. Luke clicks on the TV just in time for the interruption, and his mom finds us enjoying a documentary about ice fishing. She invites us to the kitchen for an afternoon snack, and we oblige, because there's nothing left to do on the dad front for now. After nachos, we sat onto the oversized living room couch to be entertained by two matching girls who are almost three years old. I know I spent time with them before, so I tried to hide my utter amazement at the carbon copies before me. How odd it must be to see yourself in someone else. Luke's miniature sisters layer on every piece of dress-up clothing. Their little bodies will hold an act out of play about monkeys and mommies at the zoo. We give them a standing ovation, and then explain to them what a standing ovation is. Next up is a game of skill called Line of the Stuffed Animals. Like Little Ant, the girls move from storage bin to line and back again, carrying armfuls of stuffed bears, elephants, giraffes, and more. Once completed, a great wall of stuffies extends from the fireplace to the arch doorway. After consulting each other for all of five seconds, they divide the territories. The left half of the living room, which includes the couch, is for bigs, while the right half is strictly for princesses. When Big Luke leaps off the couch and jumps into Twin Zone, he met with screams and giggles, and generally joyousness that's contagious. I can't help but join in for a while, tickling and laughing with either Ella or Madeline. It can be sure. Soon enough, it's nearing dinner time, and Luke's father arrives, wheedling a massive box and a warm hello for all of us. Mr. Henry is a handsome man, and I can see Luke in him. <laughs> I can see Luke in him. I can see Luke in him. For a moment, I let my mind wander, wondering whether Luke will have the same salt and pepper hair and lightly weathered face when he's his father's age. Back in reality, the girls are opening the box with their father's help, and I can't help but feel a pang of jealousy at their relationship. I move to the couch and watch the simple moments the kids with fathers in their lives take for granted. One twin's tiny hand rests on her daddy's shoulder as he cuts open the top. Another dull face lights up like it's Christmas morning as her father makes his way through packing peanuts and bubble wrap. At its core, the box holds a handmade wooden rocking horse painted pink and ready for riding. But after one ride each, the real appeal is the massive fort-like shipping box. It's a car! The twin, I think it's Ella, shouts right into Luke's face. Her eyes are so bright. How could he not help her inside and room her on the carpeted room? That girl has to be Madeline. 
wants a ride and Allah wants another. And now it's my car, no my car, no mine. Clearly adept at solving many battles, Mr. Henry disappears and then emerges again with a box cutter, some packing tape, and a handful of markers. Ten minutes later, there are two equally wonderful cars, each ready to transport its twin to the mole, grandma's, or school, as she wishes. Alice sits tall and holds tight to the sides, surveying the scenery in her imagination. Madeline opts to launch back in the car, making it more like a moving bit, which enables her to stare at the ceiling. As Luke scoots by my feet, I giggle at her serene expression and wonder what she'll be thinking about while lying there, staring up at the sky. And then something happens. A piece snaps into place. Luke stops his parade float and turns to face me. You okay? He asks quietly. Yeah, I say quickly. Why? You've just jumped like something scared you. Go, go, Madeline commands from inside the box when she realizes that her chariot has stopped. Shh, Luke says gently to his sister. Just a minute. She does what he says and Luke eases off the floor. He sits down next to me on the couch and takes my hand. Are you feeling all right? He asks softly. You look really pale. He brushes a stray piece of hair out of my face, and I think I catch Mr. Henry grinning at us. I feel sick, I say, louder than I mean to, grabbing the attention of two parents and twin toddlers. Now the whole Henry family is eyeing me, with varying degrees of curiosity and concern. Do you want to lie down, London? Mrs. Henry says in a way that makes me want to get check my reflection. I can't look that bad. No, I'm okay, I reply. I think I just need to go home. Luke stands and the twins protest in unison. Mrs. Henry quiets the girl while Mr. Henry walks us to the door. Outside, I take a deep breath of freezing air and though it burns my lungs, it helps. Luke holds open the door of the van for me and kisses my cheek before he closes it. We spend the ride in silence, Luke glancing at me ever so often with concern on his face. When we pull into my driveway, he offers to come in. Thanks, but I'm fine, I say, wanting nothing more than to run inside. Is your mom home at least? He asks, squinting towards the lighted window in the dining room. Again, I heard another noise, so the random stops. It's just me making sure that everything is cool, which I'm sure it is, but I'm pretty sure it's a bird that we actually named Kevin. Like a little pelican type of bird, long legs. I'm pretty sure it's just him knocking into my barbecue, so it's a little annoying. I'm sure she is, I say, turning and adding. Thanks, before slamming the door without so much as a kiss. I jog up the porch steps before Luke has a chance to get out of the car. Once inside the house, I go straight up to my bedroom, close the door, get in bed, fully clothed. 
Holding the covers up to my neck, I squeeze my eyes shut and try to control my erratic breathing. I let my mind go to the damp cemetery. I let myself feel that I am there, standing in the midst of a sea of black. I know from my notes that I've had some version of this funeral memory for a while. It has been building and growing in the depths of my brain, quietly reminding me that sometimes someone will die. But until tonight, someone is all I knew. Then, Luke's baby sister lying sweetly and serene in a shipping box lifts a fuse. And here I am seeing it plain as day, the smaller than usual hole in the ground before me. Open wide and already swallowing a tiny coffin fit for the mini parson shortly lying inside. Someone is a child. As if it couldn't get any worse, another thought punches me in the gut and beats me down to the point where I consider I might never get up again. It's hazy a long time from now, but I do remember being pregnant. What if it's my child? Isolated and terrified by what I remember, I pull the covers up tighter under my chin because it's all I can think to do. My mom isn't here, my dad is long gone, and the only person in my life right now is a boy I can't remember. And someday, in my future, I will bury a child. It is all too much. Chapter 25 On the way to Spanish, I check all the winter form posters, peppering the hallways. The event is tomorrow night. I know from notes that Luke is taking me, and after spending the last class period with the boy I apparently been dating for nearly four months, I'm fine with that. Nervous but fine. In Spanish, we have a substitute teacher, and Jamie partners with Amber Valentine for pronunciation drills, leaving me to fend for myself against an angry senior TA named Andy, who clearly had other plans for the period. I'm not sure what the prerequisites are for obtaining a teacher's assistant gig, but obviously they don't include being good at the subject you're assisting with. Andy's accent is worse than mine. She's rolled her eyes at me 17 times and counting. According to the scratch list on my notepad, my revenge is not telling her about the green food particle wedged between her two front teeth. After class, I rush up to catch up with Jamie. Hi, I say, when she realizes I'm walking next to her towards the lunch hall. Hey, she says flatly. How are you, I ask, hoping to start mending fences. Fine. She says in an even flatter tone, if that's possible. This is not the day for a reconciliation. Listen, Jamie, I just wanted to thank you, I offer. For what, she asks, uninterested and avoiding eye contact. I think she just stepped farther away from me. For the number, my dad's, I say. Don't mention it. Jamie says that she turns in the opposite direction and leaves me standing in the middle of the busy hallway. Chapter 26 Squeaky clean and clothed in a red cocktail dress that shows a little more skin that feels natural today. 
I tap the tune of chopsticks on the antique table. You'll wrap your polish, my mom cautions from across the kitchen, nodding in the direction of my freshly painted nails. She's leaning against the counter, watching me as she sips tea from a steaming mug. I stop tapping, but don't reply. Are you nervous about the dance? Mom asks, making conversation. I hear the grandfather clock in the living room chime once for the half hour. He'll be here any minute. I guess, I say tossing a curl over my shoulder. In truth, it's not the dance I'm nervous about. It's my life. Trying to push away the darker thoughts, I focus on the notes before me. Spread across the table like the diary of a crazy person, I use the afternoon to study up on Luke as best as I could, cramming more for this day than I will for the first ASAT later this year. Even still, I could forget something. That thought makes me uneasy. I read on. My mom and I both jump at the sound of the doorbell. Want me to get it? Mom asks when I stay further than my seat. Huh? Oh, no, I'll go. I mean, I'm dating him, right? Yep, you are, she says warmly. And he's a very nice boy. You look beautiful, London. Have fun tonight. I walk towards the kitchen doorway as if my feet are lead and continue down the small hallway leading to the entryway. I turn right, open the door, and there he is. There he is. Luke. Tall but not too tall, trim but not buff, perfect hair, glorious eyes, looking comfortable in his simple black suit, even though I know from the notes that he's more partial to rocker chic. He's holding a gigantic canvas with a bow wrapped around it, instead of a corsage, he says, offering me a painting of what appears to be my ear. I can see the shadow of the healed piercings that I'll reopen in college. Wisps of just the right color hair tucked behind, the tiny pitch at the top. It's your elf ear, Luke says, grinning. I can't help but laugh and self-consciously touch the body part in question. He takes a step closer. It's my favorite ear. He whispers into my lap lobe, sending chills down my spine. He stands back again and regards my ensemble. You look great, he says, without hesitation. Nice shoes. Thanks, I say, grinning with my whole body. Most girls don't notice footwear. You look nice too. I expected a band t-shirt under your jacket or something. Nah. Luke says with a laugh, showing off a prominent dimple in his right cheek. I carefully lean the painting against the foyer wall and grab my coat. Luke offers me his hand and just as we're ready to leave, my mom makes a perfectly kind appearance to wish us well. I could kiss her for being armed with a digital camera and for forcing us to stop and pose before we take off. Luke leans over and gets the door for me, and once we're out my mom's earshot, he bends down and whispers, The dress is hot. Shivers run down my spine. I am thrilled that I get to spend the whole night, well, almost the whole night, with him.
Luke drives to school, and because the dance is in the gym, we park in the teacher's lot. Even though it's allowed tonight, it feels scandalous. Inside, the disco lights rage, and the music is one notch higher than deafening. Scanning the room, I see Carly Lynch, surrounded by Alex Morgan and some other cheerleaders, all wearing dresses so low-cut that I'm embarrassed for them. In the opposite corner, I spot Jamie, just as her eye catches mine. Our gazes hold steady for a moment, and then she looks away. In a lovely black dress, she's standing to the right of a boy I don't recognize. A second pass from my heart wanes, and I remember that Jamie and I will continue to be friends long after this evening. She might not know it now, but she doesn't hate me. I follow her eye line, and my stomach lurches a little when I realize that now she's staring at Mr. Rice, who is chaperoning tonight. I consider that I might actually be sick when he gives her an inviting look no married teacher should ever throw in the direction of a 16-year-old girl. Luke must have noticed too. Come on, let's dance, he says, before I can get lost in my thoughts. We move to the center of the dance floor and are immediately aswash in a sea of sparkling stars, courtesy of a disco ball. I drape my wrists over Luke's shoulders and all at once the strength of his arms around my waist, combined with the melodic song we're swaying to, makes me fantasize about marrying him. This could be our song. I let the smooth lyrics carry me away, and I enjoy the moment and the fantasy, until it heads down the road towards children. And then the darkness is there, my mind asking questions I don't want to answer. Is the dead child mine and Luke's? Is that why I don't remember him? Because what we share together will be too painful? I pull Luke closer and smash my cheek into his shoulder, squeezing my eyes shut in an effort to make the darkness go away. Somehow, he knows the hole tighter too, and though he doesn't see the tear escape my eye, he rolls my back as if to say, it'll be okay. I never want to let go. Luke and I dance like we're glued to each other for another three slow songs before the DJ speeds things up. My ears fill with a remixed version of a disco classic that will play at practically every wedding and party I'll attend for the rest of my life. The brave kids dance while those who are either too cool or too awkward move to the outskirts. I'm not sure which group we're in, but we slowly make our way to the fringe. Want some punch, I ask. Shouldn't I be asking you that? Luke asks back. I shrug and Luke agrees. I'm going to say hi to Adam, but I'll meet you for a roll in the snow, he says, pointing to a group of benches decorated with fake snow. Laughing and shaking my head, I walk to the punch table and grab two clear plastic cups. I wait my turn, fill them, and move to a snowy bench and sit down. Gabby Stein from P.E. and her date, Christopher Osborne, are sitting on a bench two over from mine. Both look at me like I smell like dirty socks. Neither knows it yet, but Christopher will be valedictorian when we graduate next year. Right now, however, despite looking uncannily like Superman, Christopher is nothing but a small, 
helpless animal that's fallen prey to Gabby's boa constriction embrace. I can't help but long for the BTA police as I quickly look away and wish like crazy for Luke to hurry up. Sorry, Luke says, when he finally settles in next to me. Adam's chatty tonight. No problem, I say, handing Luke his punch. He gulps it down and sets the cup in the snow next to a bunch of other empty cups littering the fall outdoors. Having fun, he asks. His eyes wander to the makeup session, two benches down. For those wondering, I did just say two benches down. I know that sounded bad. And he quickly looks back at me. Of course, I'll always have fun with you, I reply, feeling slightly guilty for my use of the word, always. That's not just seeing, though. You probably just reading my mind. I let out my breath and laugh. Not really, no. I mean, it was fun for a few minutes. The slow dances were nice. Well, those shoes are killing me and I'm hungry. He laughs with me that stands and pulls me off with an easy swoop. Let's go then, he says. Okay, let me just run to the restroom first, I say. Alright, I'll wait for you by the doors, he replies. Kissing me gently before I make my way to the girls' bathroom closest to the gym. Inside, there are at least five girls admiring themselves in the massive mirror over their sinks. Without catching any eyes, I find an empty stool and I scoot through satin and tall to a free sink. Washing my hands, I feel someone stare in the mirror. I know you never asked them about me, Paige Thomas says in her most accusatory voice. This is why she never comes to social events. I am not social. I'm definitely not going to prom. Sorry, I say, pretending not to have heard. Maybe I can stole her long enough so that I can dry my hands and leave. You should be, she says, eyes narrowing, face puckered. She spins around, her white blonde hair trailing after her, and leaves the bathroom. I'm finished, and the other girls are now staring at me, so I'm forced to follow Paige. At the end of the hall, Luke is waiting for me. Brad is there, too, waiting for Paige. Luke leans against the wall, looking like a suit model. Brad is staring curiously into the traffic pace. Luke's presence must have registered with Paige, because she whips around and sees me behind her. She rolls her eyes at me, turns towards, and quickens her pace. When she reaches Brad, she grabs his hand and pulls him back inside the gym. I can't be sure, but I think I hear her murder. Murder? A particularly unkind word upon me as they go. I should warn that it's currently around 3 in the morning. So, after this last paragraph, I think I'm going to spare you guys my mumbling and stumbling. And go. Maybe. Making friends tonight, huh? Luke says with a sympathetic smile. He's holding my coat open for me. Let's go, he says, once I'm wrapped and ready. He grabs my hand and we rush through the wind towards the minivan, away from it all. In the bitter darkness, my mind wanders to a question that, according to my notes, I've been hoping to answer. Did I change anything with Paige, or is she headed on the path towards embarrassment and heartbreak, courtesy of Brad from Matt? Even though she clearly has it in for me, I silently hope that somehow Paige's fate will be different from what I saw those months before. However nasty she may be, no one deserves that pain. 
So we are going to leave off with that and then when we come back probably tomorrow or Sunday maybe probably Monday too when we come back we're going to be starting on chapter 27 and then after that we will only have trying to find the last chapter Forty-eight. So, 27 to 48, it's about the end of the book already, so I think we can get this done within this week, which means we could have already been done had life not been hectic for me, but thank you so much, and once again, my Instagram is in the description, let me know there if you like the book or not, and what should I be reading next? If I don't get any suggestions, I'm probably going to go back and do a children's story before reading another novel. So you guys, let me know down below. And once again, thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. Bye for now.